Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today, I'm going to continue with Chapter 3 of my new book, Courage, How to Make This Life Count. Thank you so much for the great response so far. Courage to Live a Spiritual Life In the first episode of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Fellowship of the Ring, the team of twelve hobbits, elves, dwarves, and men band together to destroy the Ring of Power. The Ring has the siren-like power to attract, corrupt, control, and destroy those around it. Boromir, the steward of Gondor, succumbs to the seductive power of the ring and attempts to rob Frodo of it. Frodo escapes only to find Aragorn, the future king, chasing him down. Listen to the back and forth. Aragorn, Frodo? Frodo responds, huh? It's taken, it's taken Boromir. Aragorn, where's the ring? Frodo, stay away. Aragorn comes after him. Aragorn, Frodo, I swore to protect you. Can you protect me from yourself? He shows him the ring on his palm. Would you destroy it? Aragorn, looking at the ring, slowly approaches Frodo, and the ring begins to whisper to him, Aragorn, Aragorn, Elisar. He reaches out. With both hands, Aragorn closes Frodo's hand over the ring and pushes it back to the hobbit's chest. Aragorn, I would have gone with you to the end, into the very fires of Mordor. Aragorn's stout-hearted refusal to grab the ring in the face of temptation qualifies him to become the king. Unlike his ancestor, who kept the ring when it was in his power to destroy it, Aragorn pushed it away. Aragorn reflects Christ, who passed the test of self-denial during the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. Though Adam failed, his descendant Jesus succeeded. Royalty reveals itself by its willingness to say no. Sustained spiritual growth is often more about what you can say no to than how much you can say yes to. As Paul advises in Romans chapter 12 in verse 1 through 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and spiritual worship and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Like the sweet little old ladies pushing Ghirardelli triple chocolate brownie samplers at Costco, the world is always placing temptations within easy reach. The path to spiritual growth is saying no to the world script for your life and saying yes to God's. Two years after becoming a Christian, God put me through a period of refinement. I had started leading a small group discussion, and in four months, five people became Christians. After that early victory, I lost motivation. I felt I had accomplished something for God and felt like he owed me. I started resenting those who were trying to help me grow. I chafed under any additional responsibilities. I became critical of, quote-unquote, those people. 
I was miserable at church and yet was afraid to walk out for fear of going to hell. My pride had stolen the joy of my salvation. I felt the urge to return to my old pattern of living and thinking. Out of desperation, I started fasting and reading passages about Christ's power and love for me. I pored over Philippians 2, 5 through 19, Colossians 1, 15 through 23, and Romans 5, 6 through 8, and finally experienced a breakthrough. I realized that it wasn't about my performance, what I could do for God, but what Christ had done for me, his love for me. My heart broke and an inexpressible joy flooded back into my life. If you've lost spiritual momentum, you need to ask what you've been allowing into your life. Whenever we seek out or say yes to the pleasures and patterns of this world, we are forfeiting the chance to transform and distinguish ourselves as different from than the world. The world offers the following anonymous, accessible, and affordable temptations in the comfort of your own home. Pornography, excessive social media, sports, video games, news addiction, alcohol, drugs. It takes guts to reject this world's pattern for a new way of thinking. These and many more temptations squeeze out activities that foster spiritual growth. Prayer, meditation, scripture reading, inspirational reading, evangelism, spiritual relationships, family time. I I hesitate even to list the spiritual disciplines above. They're so obvious. However, when I talk to the people around me who claim to be godly, their most common refrain is, I know I should pray more, but I don't have time. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's an unwillingness to cut out the choking weeds of this world unsparingly. When you recognize that your life mirrors the standards and values of this present world, it's time for a dramatic rejection of this pattern. One of the best ways to spur a renewal of your spiritual, spiritual mind is through a vision quest. This term describes the process young men in aboriginal societies would go through to pass from childhood to maturity. They would go into the wilderness for several days, fasting and praying for a vision unique to their life. This process is not only useful for primitive societies, but also for anyone interested in shifting to a higher gear spiritually. Jesus started his ministry with 40 days of prayer, solitude, fasting, and meditation. Satan offered him shortcuts to power, wealth, and pleasure, and Jesus rejected them for the narrow path of suffering and obedience. Hebrews 5.8 says, Even though Jesus was God's Son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Even the Son of God had something to learn. The wilderness was the classroom God used to teach him. Many significant figures from history took the time for this type of solitude, reflection, and prayer before embarking on their mission. The vision quest transcends all religious backgrounds. Genghis Khan spent three days and nights on the mountain, Burkhan Khaldun, fasting and praying for clarity before his campaign to conquer the world from China to the border of Austria. Julius Caesar took time at the Rubicon River in northern Italy, deliberating on his best course of action. He wrestled with whether he could, should continue as governor or overthrow the Roman government. Only after seeing a vision did he utter his famous words, the die is cast, and ford the river. 
This phrase, crossing the Rubicon, has come to mean reaching a point of no return. The Apostle Paul also sought out private victory before public ministry. He recounts in his letter to the Galatian church, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. The similarity of experience between these great men points to the power of the vision quest. As one writer writes, unadorned suffering is the bedmate of masculine growth. He continues that challenge. He continues that challenge and austerity is the best environment for spiritual growth regardless of your current belief system. If you want to resist the world's efforts to squeeze you into its mold, consider consciously renouncing the world and its distractions and comforts. One interest I picked up in my late 40s was backpacking. I asked a couple of 20-somethings to take me out into the wilderness over the 4th of July holiday. My backpack weighed 45 pounds with a chair, extra clothes, and food stacked on top. Seemed like the only thing missing was a shopping cart to, shop, shopping cart to carry it all. Since that initial attempt, I've lightened my gear considerably and have taken several solo trips into the Santa Catalina mountain range near Tucson, where I live now. The last was a two-night climb from the Oracle Trailhead to the top of Mount Lemmon. I fasted from food during that time and didn't read or listen to anything. I simply prayed over and over as I slowly climbed the mountain. If getting outdoors is a non-starter for you, I would recommend a media fast of between 30 to 90 days. I find that when I cut out all streaming videos, Netflix, etc., it opens up hours of extra time for reflection, reading, or talking with people. Not only that, but it reduces the number of sexual triggers that get planted in our brain. I'd like to challenge you to switch your mind off autopilot. Many of our behaviors are running counter to our expressed desire to grow spiritually. However, we aren't even consciously aware of how the world and our own unstudied habits are grinding our growth to a halt. The character Morpheus describes our world best in the movie The Matrix. The Matrix is a system, Neo. That system is our enemy. But when you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we're trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inured so hopelessly dependent on the system that they will fight to protect it. Jesus unplugged us from the system of the world when we died with him and were reborn. We have to resist the pull to plug back into that same system that enslaves millions and perhaps billions of people. Zero-based thinking. One method I find helpful in making significant changes in my life is zero-based thinking. Brian Tracy made this phrase famous through his many books. Ask yourself, knowing what I know now, would I start or keep doing what I'm currently doing? 
If your answer is a solid no to this question, your next question is, how can I stop doing this behavior or get out of the situation immediately? The stop doing list. Another related tool to opening up room in your life for spiritual growth is to create a stop doing list. For every new productive habit, you will typically have to remove a time-wasting or attention-absorbing behavior to make room for the new. Stephen Covey called those things quadrant four activities, actions that are neither urgent nor important to accomplish. I'd recommend taking out a legal pad and making a list from one to 20. At the top of the list, write, what could I stop doing that would help me grow spiritually? Try to get 20 ideas on paper. It might be challenging to come up with 20 ideas. However, you should be able to come up with three to five activities that jump out to you as easy to cut from your life immediately. Gut check. Knowing what you know now, what would you do differently to live a more satisfying spiritual life? And secondly, take a few minutes to make a stop doing list. I want to thank you for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. You've been listening to chapter three of my new book, Courage, How to Make This Life Count. You can find this book on Amazon along with my first book, How to Plant and Grow a Church, a complete manual for small church growth. If you're enjoying this podcast or book, please email me with feedback or questions. I'd love to hear from you. Rob at TucsonChurchOfChrist.org. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you enjoyed the program, please share, subscribe to the podcast. Have a great day and make this life count.